that was something that was seen in the in the response. Some might call it backlash. Some might call it response of, you know, people almost having it and not realizing that they've got an allergy, <laughs> or that this was the first time they'd ever seen a black woman do maths and had never considered what that might look like. And the fact that you know I didn't wear heels, I wore my trainers, I had my big grey hair, still me. I say H, not H. You know, so there were a lot, a lot of fun things that kind of to explore in being on a platform like that. Welcome back to our 40-Minute Mentor, Where Are They Now? feature series, in which we catch up with some of our most popular 40-Minute Mentors from previous series. Kicking off this one, I'm joined by Dr. Anne-Marie Imapadon, MBE, co-founder and CEO of Stemets, arithmetician on the popular Channel 4 TV show Countdown, and a published author. Anne-Marie previously joined us on Series 5 when we spoke about her upbringing, what it was like to be a real-life child prodigy, and her journey as a founder growing Stemets from a side hustle to the successful company it is today. I am so grateful to manage to get a slot in Anne-Marie's very busy diary to catch up again and find out more about what she's been up to and her brand new book, She's in Control. So, Anne-Marie, welcome back to 40 Minute Mental. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me back, James. Feel like this is All Stars <laughs> season. Yeah, <laughs> well, you are an All Star. I I actually have mentioned, I think, in a live conference that your episode is one of my all time favourites. Uh, yeah, I just it left a lasting impression. So I'm really, really thrilled to get you back on and chat um, all about what you've been up to. And I know you've been busy. I know you've been flying around the world, doing lots of things. So fill us in on what's new. And yeah, particularly your book, She's in Control. What's it all about? Who's it for? Fill us in. Yeah, so there's a there's a new book uh, since the last time we spoke. I'm also now president of the British Science Association, which means all, all manner of different uh, extra bits of work on my plate. But yeah, the book is a biggie. It was released on the 8th of September, which is a, a, an interesting date, I guess, to, to have chosen in the last however many decades that of any kind of news happening in the world. I think folks will remember what, what else happened on the 8th of September. But it's a, a look at past, present and future, really, of tech, the tech industry and STEM itself, but, uh, you know, even more so women in tech, which is the the she in the title. It is, as you said, called She's in Control, but the control is the CTRL as per the keyboard. But yeah, really excited to have been able to put this together and release it out to the world, release it out to the wild and being able to kind of help folks really on that technical journey help them step into their own technical prowess, help them, you know, gain some agency back from digital literacy and share some really practical tips and tricks and activities for folks to do on that journey. That's amazing. No, well, congratulations. I know these things are labours of love and take a while to kind of come together and it must be a very proud moment to get it out into the world. What was it like for you sort of switching from the sort of day job to writing a book like this? And were there any aspects of that process that surprised you or any particular bits of advice for anyone that's kind of being inspired by hearing this? That they maybe have been sitting on an idea for a while and encouragement to get out there and do it. I mean, it was it was definitely a switch. I think the, the interesting one is I was writing it in amongst as well, um, some of the filming for Countdown. So I think it was definitely, I think that was a bigger switch, you know, doing those mass questions, doing that quick arithmetic in 30 seconds was a bigger switch than, you know, talking about this topic that I get to talk about quite a lot, getting it written, you know, interviewing folks as well. So it was a little bit of a switch. There were definitely, you know, a couple of weeks during that writing process where I had to be like, hey, folks, I'm going to be offline because I need to just, you know, bed down. I need to, you know, plan this out or I need to 
think about, you know, the flow and the narrative and the order, or I need to be interviewing folks. So there are a couple of kind of peaks, I'd say, of activity alongside some troughs. But, you know, I did it alongside everything else. You know me from last time. I like to have my fingers in lots of different pies and be doing lots of things at, at the same time. And so it definitely was just another thing that kind of slotted in alongside it. I think at one point it was like every Tuesday morning and Thursday afternoon was like book time. It was like a deep focus time where it's like everything switched off and I just have to you know, sit in the room and talk to myself as I try and pull the book together. So I think I think for me, that was what the experience was. I, I think the things that maybe have been the most surprising, I think there's definitely something of, you know, everyone says from the beginning, everyone said from the beginning, you know, whatever you write first, they're going to edit. It's not going to be what's there at the end. And I think the gap and the difference and the distance and the delta between what I submitted, I have to say early, what I submitted a week or two early, and what is now being printed it's so different. I mean, my publisher, my editor kind of completely cut and chopped and changed. And, you know, it's one of those things where, I, you know, I, I, I'm a bit of a funny person, right? And so I, you know, written jokes in and normally you need the punchline at the end rather than the beginning. And so there was some chopping and changing that meant that the punchline came first. And it was like, no, this is going to slightly ruin the whole joke. And now we have to remove the joke. And, you know, the book's not as funny as I am. But I think for me, you know, that was really surprising just to see how someone else had organized my thoughts and could organize my thoughts for something like a book. But I think my advice really would be, you know, make sure that you have A, got the time to write it, but B, got the time to talk about it. And I think this is something I'm still learning. And it's a two book deal, so there will be a second book. But, you know, the, you spend as much time writing the book. In fact, you probably spend more talking about the book and making sure that people are able to benefit from it. And so that's definitely been something that's been a learning that it's not just about the book, but it's about, you know, what are you able to do with it and what effort can you do to ensuring that it's useful for people, right? And it's in the hands of the people that will find it useful. Yeah, no, that that's that's really great advice. And I've um we've had Helen Tupper from the Squiggly Careers podcast came on and we were talking when I last got up with her, she was saying how amazing it is to get out there and promote a book, but it's it's a really it's like a full time job, isn't it? Doing the you know, getting out there and talking about it and promoting it. And it's not just promoting it for the sake of it, it's also just kind of the educational piece, the important educational piece that comes with it. So I'm hoping this can be part of that tour uh, of duty to kind of get get it out into the world and i hope lots of people will go pick up a, a copy as they should i know that she's in control is filled with inspiring stories of, of women in tech you know you're a great advocate for that and a, a brilliant example to all of us can you share a couple of those stories that that, that you highlighted in the book like what were some favorite ones for you and, and why did they stand out to you and to our listeners so this has been a really tough question to answer it's like saying who's your favorite child right you don't really have a favorite you're not supposed to have favorites at least and even more so not to say it out loud but I think for me you know, there's more than 15 different people that are featured not all of them women actually but you know a lot of stories that are told and I think for me it's the diversity of stories and we talk about diversity quite a lot right and especially in this space it's you know whether it's gender whether it's race whether it's age and all the rest of it but I think for me it's also been in addition to that the diversity of pathways and for me, it was really important to feature that in the book. You know, everyone's like, oh, I'm Marie. We want to know from the desk of Anne-Marie, right? You're oh so great, Anne-Marie, that's done all these things. We want to hear your perspective. And for me, it's been re- I've been really clear on like, no, 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 no. This isn't about just one person's perspective. That's how we have problems, right? This idea of lone genius that has all the answers does not solve anything, does not suit anybody, only makes things worse. And so for me, it was really important to show and you know, document people like Glenn Boddington, who was a trained dancer and I tell her story 
a couple of times in the book where, you know, she was dancing. Like that was her thing. She was working in dance collectives and she wanted to be able to dance with someone at distance. And this was pre-internet. And there were all these experimental things that they were doing that now means that she's a virtual realities expert and she's now an academic working in in tech on this idea of hybrid and virtual realities and you know things like the metaverse before anyone was working on it and she's done that as a direct result of being a dancer that wanted to be in two places at once or whether there's the story of someone like Jenny Griffiths who you know solved that problem of you know when you see someone on the tube or on the train and you're like oh my goodness I love your jumper where'd you get it from she's got some a software that you can take a picture of the jumper and then you can find it on the high street And it's incredible to see that, you know, that was the problem she was solving. But now the use cases of that are so broad that, you know, now that when you go through the airport, it might be her technology that's actually trying to analyze, you know, not just is this a gun shape, but are these elements of what could be reassembled to be a gun, right? That as you're going through security. So there's people like that, or there's folks like Abadesi Osinsade, who runs Hustle Crew, who you should definitely, if you haven't already had her on the pod, you should have her on the podcast. But, you know, someone like that who has been able to see a problem arrange people around it and, you know, come up with concepts like the belonging check, which is one of the kind of activities towards the end of one of the chapters of this idea of like understanding your privilege, being able to recognize and own, you know, the space that you're in. And then to say a bit like we apply a spell check to all our documents, how can we apply a belonging check to all our interactions with folks and the way that we work and the way that we make decisions across our lives? So, you know, lots of really interesting, incredible people. No one that I would say is my favorite. Oh, no, amazing. Well, that's, I think, whetted everyone's appetite to go get the book and, and learn more of those stories. They're incredible. And yes, Abadesi, we're definitely going to get on the podcast. I think that's something we'll get straight on to because I've heard amazing things about the Hustle Crew. I really hope you're enjoying today's episode so far. But before we continue hearing from today's mentor, I wanted to take a minute to give a shout out to our series sponsors, Alchemist. Alchemist is an industry-leading learning and development company using immersive and interactive experiences to help increase employee engagement, levels of happiness and achievement across your teams and overall productivity. Alchemist presents L&D departments with an opportunity to innovate and be bold in their approaches to blended learning. If you love the sound of this as much as we do here at JBM, then head over to thisisalchemist.com forward slash 40 minute mentor to learn more. And now back to our 40 minute mentor. If kind of your readers take one message away from the book, like what would you like it to be and why? So for me, I think I'd want it to be that this tech thing, right, is is for everyone and everyone actually needs to have some sort of understanding and literacy of it the same way as, you know, most people, everyone in an English speaking country needs to understand English and anyone in a Spanish speaking country needs to understand Spanish. But I think the upshot of that is that it's bit by bit. And I think it's something that people have kind of fed back and have tweeted and have kind of said to me when they spoke to me is like, this is just a journey. Like there's, it's not the fountain of all knowledge. It's not that I want to be the expert and know all of the things at the end, but it's just, it's a bit by bit, just exploring. And it's taken the pressure off. I think a lot of folks who feel like, yeah, like you're trying to catch up with someone having done their GCSEs at 10. And that's like now what we're trying to race towards. And, you know, maybe it's too late for you. It's like, no, 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 no. This is like, what does the tech mean to you? What's the exploration that you want to go on? And just being on that journey is what's important rather than having the ultimate answers ready to go. Love that. 
Yeah, awesome. No, thank, thank you very much for sharing. And I know that you're you're not a first-time author. I know this is a two-time book deal, but you have actually already written a book before, How to Be a Maths Whiz, which was for children, which I feel I must go out and buy for my daughter. She's definitely keen and interested, I think. So I think um, anything like that, I think she'd really, really enjoy. But how was that experience compared to this time around? And yeah, it'd be good to understand like what, what made you feel compelled to write that in the first instance and how have the two experiences differed? very different i mean that was with dawling kindersley and you know which is like a you know big og like book publisher everyone had those books when they were kids and you know the, there's got a really like clear format so that was that was exciting for a whole nother set of reasons but i think there were a lot of similarities but big difference i think with that the scope was much smaller i think we knew like that there is a curriculum ready for numeracy at primary there were topics already we knew we wanted to be able to we needed to be able to cover in this and with that, there was a lot more focus on, much more focus actually on the activities. But again, that's a similarity because I have activities in every chapter um, in She's in Control, whereas there's an activity on every page in How to Be a Maths Whiz, almost every page. <laughs> um, so I think that would be the biggest difference. But also, yeah, that was more of a multi-stage process because I had to define the activities. And then there was a lot of photography that was involved in that book too, before it then coming out. But that was also, you know, released during uh, post-pandemic. So I think... A lot of similarities, but biggest difference was definitely the audience and then the process. But the response has been really cool to that as well. I mean, people people like trying things out and seeing that it's things that they can do, which I think when you think about maths, when you think about tech, often that's not the experience that they have or that's not the assumption that they have coming into it. So it's been quite nice to be able to liberate folks on both book projects. Yeah, I love that. And I guess linked to the book or the content, you've obviously, you mentioned it earlier, you've been on Countdown since we last spoke. How was that experience? And I know you're, you're a very busy person. And so this is another thing to add to the list. What made you feel compelled to do that? And how has that been helpful for the broader Amory mission? So I only did that because I didn't ask enough questions. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, this will be different. This is new. I'll, I'll give this a go. I mean, yeah, I'll give this a go. But yeah, I mean, that was it, was, it was really intense. Five episodes a day, three days on the trot up in Manchester, kind of back to back. So I would just disappear from the team. I mean, a bit like the book, like I said, we'd just disappear for a couple of days to just go and film this thing. We finished filming all the episodes before the first one was broadcast, which again was a very surreal experience, actually. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, I was that person months ago. And now we're a whole new year. And I think for me, it was an interesting one because it, it's an institution, you know, for anyone that hasn't seen it, you know, it just celebrated its 40th anniversary and it was the first show on Channel 4 when Channel 4 launched and it's still running and it's the longest running game show in the world that's still on now. And I, th- I mean, of all time, in fact, not, not just that's still on, but I think it's it was a real great opportunity to be that visible young black woman you know, doing the mathematics in a world where a lot of folks have never seen a black woman do maths. And I think that was something that was seen in the in the response. Some might call it backlash, some might call it response of, you know, people almost having it and not realising that they've got an allergy <laughs> or that this was the first time they'd ever seen a black woman do maths and had never considered what that might look like. And the fact that, you know, I didn't wear heels, I wore my trainers, I had my big grey hair, still me, I say H, not H, you know, so there were a lot, a lot of fun things that kind of to explore 
in being on a platform like that. I'm glad I did it. And also it's definitely Rachel's job. Like I'm not, I'm not taking Rachel's job anytime soon. (laughs) Anytime at all, actually. (laughs) Well, it was great to see you on it. And I think, yeah, it is an institution, but sometimes you do see the same old faces on TV. And I think seeing yours on there in a show that is loved by, you know, many generations is, is an important thing to do. And um, I I appreciate it. it sounded very, very intense and you have a lot of other things to do. So I, Appreciate it's kind of a maybe a short term thing, a one off, but important all the same. <laughs> exactly. Before we wrap up, Amory, um, you've you've obviously done you've had such a great impact through the work you've done at Stemets over the last ten years. You've exposed more than fifty thousand girls in Europe to your vision for a more diverse and balanced STEM community. What next is on the horizon for Stemets, and what are you most looking forward to in twenty twenty two? So 2023 is our 10-year anniversary, and so there's lots of things that are planned across the year to celebrate and commemorate a decade of of work, a decade of influence, a decade of impact, but also maybe, you know, looking forward to another decade, probably max, hopefully, of more of that, and then solving this problem, or at least elements of this problem, kind of once and for all. So, you know, we've got a new podcast we've just launched called Stemet Say What, that will feature quite heavily across the year that folks can kind of find on all good podcast platforms as well. But also, I think it's going to be really cool to see some of the policy work that we end up doing and advocacy work that we end up doing to kind of affect to affect systemic change. I think there's a lot that we've learned in how we do what we do that is new knowledge. There's a lot in terms of equitable practice that we've been exploring with the Institute of Education. But, you know, there's a couple of campaigns, a couple of things we've got up our sleeves for this kind of big 10-year big bang so that we can change things wholesale, change things at a systems level so that something like Stemets doesn't need to exist and we can work towards that redundancy. So, you know, look out for festivals, look out for roundtables, look out for a couple of campaigns as well on things like the curriculum and some of the norms that we've got that really do hold uh, our young people and our young women back. And uh, yeah, good podcast apps, like lots of, lots of different things will be popping up in lots of different places as well um, across the UK and across the world. So look out, look out for that. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll be um, very much from the sidelines cheering you on and supporting in any way we can. You know, very excited. It sounds like a Lots more in store for STEMETs in the years ahead. And, you know, you, you are making such a big impact and, you know, anything we can do to help, we would love to. So, Amory, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast, sharing a bit more about She's in Control and what you've got coming up in the year ahead. Um, it's always a great pleasure seeing you. And I hope our listeners will run out and get your book and, uh, yeah, continue to support uh, the work you're doing at STEMETs too. Awesome. Thanks very much for having me, folks. Thank you all so much for your ongoing support of 40 Minute Mentor. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, rate and review the podcast. And for those who share it with their networks and friends, an extra big thank you. It really does make a difference. Now we are gearing up for Series 9. So if you have any recommendations for guests or topics you'd like us to cover, please send them to info at jbmc.co.uk. If you would also like to become a 40-Minute Mentor Ambassador or would like to find out more about ways you can partner with JBM or 40-Minute Mentor, please reach out to our producer and head of marketing, Hannah, at hannah at jbmc.co.uk. She would love to hear from you. 
And a final thing from me, JBM are hiring ourselves. So if you know any incredible recruiters who have worked in the tech space that might be interested in working for a company like JBM, then please do get in touch today. We would love to hear your recommendations or from you if you think you're the right person for our business. You can find out more about life at JBM at jbmc.co.uk. That's everything from us today, but I really hope we'll see you again next week for another Where Are They Now feature episode.